0: It is good to be with you here this morning. Uh, I want to begin our time uh, with the story of Charles Templeton. Uh, Charles Templeton uh, was a Christian evangelist uh, during the 1940s and 50s. Uh, some of you may know his name. He worked a lot with Billy Graham, uh, if you know that name at all. Uh, they would have uh, evangelism meeting, tent meeting evangelism. People would uh, gather their friends, their family. Uh, during this time, they would come to this, this meeting and they would, they would present the gospel and they would ask people to, to give their life to Christ. And people said of Charles Templeton that he was actually a more gifted speaker, a more gifted evangelist than even Billy Graham. Uh, he would uh, do these these uh, evangelism nights. They would have about 150 converts a night, which is amazing for that time. Uh, the National Evangelical Association in 1946 named him the man best used by God. So you, don't you want that on a t-shirt? Best used by God, right? It'd be great. But this is an amazing communicator uh, and And he would go to places, uh, Evansville, Indiana. Evansville had about 128,000 people in it. Uh, He ran a week-long campaign there. 91,000 of the people from the town came out. So uh, this was just a man. uh, Many people were coming to Christ because of his work. He was kind of considered one of the up-and-rising stars of the church during that time. That is, until he abandoned the faith. He walked away from Christianity said he wanted nothing to do with it, and actually became a really vocal opponent against Christianity. Uh, he, he started to have uh, some doubts as he was, was preaching, things related to the creation account, uh, God allowing suffering, things like that, but he would continue preaching, he kept them to his, uh, himself, but he said, you know, I, I would preach these things, but there, there came a point where I just didn't believe the things I was saying anymore, but I was too scared to tell anyone. Until one Sunday, he said, I I couldn't take it anymore. I I just couldn't be a hypocrite any longer. I I finished my sermon. I walked down from the platform, didn't say a word to anyone, walked straight out the back of the church and never came back. Have you ever wondered uh, what happens to people uh, who seem to be Christian for a time, but then walk away from the faith? Uh, Maybe like Charles Templeton, they reject Christianity altogether. Uh, Maybe they they just stopped attending church. You're not sure whether they believe or not. Is it true that that once saved, always saved? These are the questions that Jesus is going to answer for us in our text today. So if you have your Bibles, please uh, take them. Uh, We're going to be in Luke chapter 8, uh, verses 4 to 15 today. If you don't have a Bible, there are some outside. Uh, Feel free to grab some there. Uh, and today we're, we're going to go through a, a very famous a parable, a, a story, an illustration that Jesus uses. A, a parable has been described by one scholar as an earthly story with heavenly meaning. It's, it's a story that Jesus is going to tell us to illustrate some spiritual realities. And so uh, we're going to take some time, we're going to read the parable together, we're going to read Jesus' interpretation, and then we'll spend some time unpacking it together. So, if you got your Bible, verse 4. Here we go. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell on thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell in the good soil, and it grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in times of testing, fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. And that's God's uh, word to us this morning. Uh, let's just say a quick prayer before we begin. Uh, uh, Lord God, we are thankful uh, for your word Uh, But as we see uh, today, uh, we are to have ears to hear. And so I pray you would give us that. You would give us ears to hear uh, your word properly. That it would, the, the, the seed would come into our heart and that it would bear fruit for you and for your glory. So I pray that in your name. Amen. So in the the time of Jesus, farmers would go out into their their fields. They would have a huge sack of seed. And and as they scattered the seed, some would naturally fall on on good ground that was good for fruit. And some would naturally fall on on soil that was was not as good for growing fruit. And so as we look at this parable, we need to decipher what are these soil? What is the seed? Uh, Jesus says very clearly that the seed is the word of God. And by that, he means the the truth of God, the the revealed truth of who God is and what God has done in the world. By the soil, Jesus means our heart. How do our hearts receive this message? How do our hearts receive the message of the gospel, right? And the gospel, if you're you're not sure, the gospel is the the truth that God, who is creator over all, created mankind, but mankind has rebelled against him, against him and his glory, And we all inherit that. So we naturally uh, go against God. We naturally do things that are not according to the way God would have us do them. but, But God, in his grace, he sends Jesus. He sends Jesus as a sacrifice to take our penalty, to take our sins. So it is not the work that we do for God, but in fact, just us trusting in the work that Jesus did for us. We trust in his death, his resurrection, and that we too will be raised to new life and have a resurrection where we live with God eternally. That's the gospel. And that's the seed that Jesus is saying is being sown here. And so how do our hearts receive it? Uh, We're going to look at the four different soils, and it's going to show us four different ways, four different responses to hearing the word of God. And then we're going to take some time, we're going to look at one key idea, and that is perseverance. We're going to see this text give us some essential truths about the nature of continuing faith. So, response one. The first response to hearing the word of God is a hard response. Verse twelve: The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that they may not believe and be saved. So in Jewish, Jewish Palestine, it's not uncommon uh, for a footpath to go right through a farmer's field. Right, The footpaths would just go here and there, wherever they, they need to go. So it's natural that some seed would naturally fall on this path. This path that has been beaten down, packed down by hundreds or thousands of people's feet. Right, If you've been hiking here in BC, you've been on the trails, the trails that, where the soil is just hard. So it, when, you, when you scatter the seed, it just bounces right off. It just stays right on the surface. It's not able to, to be absorbed by the soil. It's not able to germinate. So the seed sits on the surface of the soil like, like oil on water. And Jesus is saying, these are, these are people who, who hear the word of God, but, but they, they don't receive it. The, the devil comes in, he swoops, he steals the seed. He says, they, are not, they do not believe and they're not saved. And Jesus makes a very clear distinction here. He says, if you do not receive the word of God, if you don't believe, there, there is no salvation for you. And we might object though, but it's Satan. Satan comes and steals the seed. The birds swoop in. And we say, well, yes, but... The real reason that that Satan is able to swoop in and steal the seeds is the soil is hard. Right? The the, the reason the seed is so easy for the taking is because it has not been absorbed by the soil. So Jesus is saying there are some who hear the message of the gospel, but it stays on the surface. They they never let it penetrate their heart. It, It makes an impression on the drum of the ear, but not on the tablet of the heart. I have a friend, this was his story. He grew up in a church. Uh, he grew up in a gospel-preaching church where they, they, they preached the gospel faithfully. But he, he understood Christianity theoretically, intellectually. He could tell you what the gospel was, but it didn't actually change his life. It, it didn't thrill him. He wasn't excited by the truths of the gospel. It was just something he, he knew. Until one day, he realized that the truth of God was for him personally, that, that he was a sinner, that he needed the grace of God. And when he realized that, his eyes were open. Suddenly, the, the truth moved from head knowledge to heart knowledge. Suddenly, his life was transformed. It, it did thrill him. He, he decided to go into ministry, like this man's life was transformed because the truth of the gospel was not theoretical, but it actually moved to his heart, to his very being. He understood the gospel personally. And you may be here today, and that may kind of describe you. You might not be a Christian. Maybe you are, but you've, you've been to church. You've heard sermons. You, you kind of know what the Bible says, but it doesn't really make a difference for you. It doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem to work, right? The truth of Christianity just sits on the surface like oil on water. And so this passage is showing us that if we are to be people who believe and are saved, our, our heart needs to be softened. We need to, to have our heart tilled, the soil of our heart, that we could actually receive the gospel message. So would you hear the gospel? Would you allow your heart to be tilled and for the gospel to take root? Would you open yourself to that possibility? The hardened response to the word of God does not give opportunity for it to grow. Number two, shallow response. The second response is a shallow response. Verse 13, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in times of testing fall away. And so Jesus is describing a a, a promising young plant. Uh, one that falls, uh, though among rocks, it's probably what it is, is a, a thin layer of topsoil, maybe an inch or two thick, and, and underneath that, bedrock. So, so the seal, seed falls in the soil, it's able to sprout up, germinate, but when the heat of the sun, over many, many days, beats down on this plant, it eventually withers away. There's no roots that go deep. It can't gather the water it needs, and the plant withers and dies. And Jesus says, "These are Christians. Uh, these, these are people who receive the word, they receive it with joy, they believe. But when trials come, when testing come, when, when suffering comes, the root of the, the gospel is, is not in their heart. They, they received the word with joy when the gospel was, was good for them, when, when times were easy, but when times were, were tough. Then, then the gospel actually didn't transform their reality. It wasn't a part of who they were. And so the scary thing about this, this shallow soil is it looks good on the outside at first. If you're the farmer, you see it spread up, it looks great. But it's not until the testing comes that you determine whether or not this is truly good soil. And the same can be true in our lives. We, we may have joy now, things may be going well now for us, but what happens when the testing comes? How do we react? Right? It's like a, a, a physics test. Right? You can have the Albert Einstein bobblehead. You can have the E equals MC squared T-shirt. But until you take the physics test, you don't know whether you, you actually know the information. The test is there to assess where you're at. And the same is true in our lives. Suffering, testing, they rele- reveal what's beneath the surface. They show where our heart truly is. Take uh, Horatio Spafford as for, for an example. Uh, this man uh, grew up in the 1800s. He was a Christian uh, lawyer, businessman, property owner, uh, loved the Lord, gave much of his wealth away uh, to Christian missions and other things like that, had a great family, five kids. Everything in his life uh, was going well. Then suddenly, one day, unexpectedly, his four-year-old son passed away. His family, obviously devastated Within that year, a fire swept through the city of Chicago, where most of his property was. Many of his properties destroyed in the fire. Overnight, his family wealth evaporated. Uh, The family, quite shaken by all that's been going on, decided they would take a trip uh, to England uh, just to get away from things for a bit. Horatio uh, sent his family on ahead he would follow a couple days later. Uh, And as his wife and four daughters were sailing across the Atlantic, uh, their ship was struck by an iron ship. Their passenger ship sunk within 12 minutes. 200 people died, including all four of his daughters. His wife, Anna, was found clinging to a plank of wood. Uh, She was brought by boat to southern Wales, where she sent Horatio a telegram that said simply, Saved Alone. How how do you respond when testing comes in your life? It it would be easy for Horatio at this point to to walk away from the faith. Look at what God has done. I don't deserve any of this. How would he respond? Horatio uh, boards a boat quickly to go and join his wife uh, in southern Wales. And as the boat is is sailing past the very spot where his daughters drowned. He looks out his cabin window and he writes these words, now immortalized in in a famous hymn. He said, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. See, the gospel roots did go deep in Horatio's life. He knew the truth of the gospel that whether sorrows came or whether good came, he could say it is well with my soul because I know my sin has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. He, he knows that eternity awaits him. So when suffering comes, he knew the truth of the gospel. And that was the key that got him through his time of suffering. So can I ask us, how, how do we respond when the unexpected hits us? When, when cancer is staring us in the face or those we love? When we have to suffer through chronic pain and, and illness, how, how do we respond? D- does the, the, the gospel have root in our life or, or is our faith just skin deep? We have to be aware because but the truth is a shallow response to the word of God is one that will cause us to fall away. The third response. The third response we see to hearing the word of God is a divided response. Look with me at verse 14. As for what fell among the thorns, uh, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, They are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. So here we see uh, thorns, weeds, essentially. In that area, they would have a large weeds that would would grow up uh, beside the plant. They would grow as as much as six feet tall, grew rapidly. And so these thorns, they, they grow up beside the promising young plant about to bear fruit. And they block out the sunlight. They take the nutrients from the soil. Uh, and the fruit of the plant does not mature. And Jesus is saying this is a divided soil. The soil is trying to grow both a, a fruit, uh, a plant, but it's also trying to grow these, these thorns. And when the, the efforts are divided, it's going to lead to the fruit uh, uh, not, not bearing fruit as it should. It's the cares and riches and pleasures of life that grow up beside us that choke out the spiritual growth in our life. And so the question to ask here is, is this soil actually describing a Christian? Is this a Christian person we're describing that just maybe uh, has priorities wrong? Or, or is this actually someone who is, Jesus is describing has fallen away? They, they are not a Christian. He uses the term, the fruit does not mature. I don't know if some of you have gone uh, berry picking here in BC. It's a great thing our family loves to do. Uh, we love to go and pick raspberries. Uh, so I think we have a picture I love raspberries. So good, right? And um, we'll go to these, these you pick at farms. It's a ton of fun. Uh, But the problem is when you go to these farms, you're given like a row of bushes that you're like, here, pick this row. And you start on the row and you're like, all the good berries are gone. Like there's no good, you're like looking underneath the like plant trying to like find the best like raspberry. But why are you doing that? Why are you spending all this time to get the good berries? Because no one wants to eat the green ones, right? They're gross. No one wants to eat that. You want to, you're going to harvest the ripe fruit. And when Jesus uh, talks about harvest language throughout the Bible, uh, harvest language is always used to indicate who is in the kingdom, who is saved. If you are a harvested fruit, you're in the kingdom. But if you are a not mature fruit, you're not going to be harvested. You're not saved. And that's Jesus' point here. He's saying not only the cares and riches and pleasures, they're not in danger of just choking out our spiritual growth. They're actually in danger of choking out our spiritual life. Uh, we, we see this all throughout the, the Bible. Uh, for example, Esau. Esau gave away his birthright, uh, his, his promise of the covenant with God. He gave that away so he could have a bowl of stew, right? Uh, Demas, one of the fellow workers with Paul, Paul says eventually deserted him because he was in love with the present world. And we see this today, too. People walk away from the faith all the time because of the cares of this life. A high school student, super involved in the youth group, goes off to college and walks away from the faith because they would rather sleep with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, uh, A couple that's dating, they attend church together while they're, they're dating, but when they get married, they slowly stop coming because, you know, kids, busyness, life. I see this even uh, in my own life. Uh, uh, I was working uh, on our, our house. We had a, a renovation project we wanted to do. And because I didn't have any money, I decided to do it myself with my father in law and a couple other people. And so every day for about a month, I was at the house working as hard as I could. If I'm not here at the church, I'm there. I was just just absolutely working my butt off. And what I found was my devotion suffered, my prayer life suffered. I started being quick to anger with my family. I I realized at one point, this is dangerous. My efforts are divided. Uh, I'm watering the thorns in my life. And I had to step back because if that continues, there's a danger there. And so my question to you is, what are the, the, the cares, the riches, the pleasures that you are watering what are those things in your life that are dividing you from the Word of God that you are watering with your time? Watering with your, your money? Our, our tendency is to think we can keep the thorns at bay. We'll just keep the thorns at a manageable height. We'll just keep pruning them, but we don't, don't want to take the time to, to dig out the thorns in our life. But again, Jesus, Jesus' admonition here is beware of the thorns. They're not there just to slow your growth. They're there to choke you out. To choke out your spiritual life. A divided response to the word of God will eventually choke out your faith. The last response. The fourth response to hearing the word of God is a persevering response. Verse 15. As for that in good soil, uh, they are those who hearing the word, hold it fast, in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So the question is what's different about this soil? It obviously lacks the deficiencies of the other soils, but what is it that makes this soil good? Jesus highlights two things we'll see really quickly uh, one, that it holds the word fast, and two, that it bears fruit with patience. So to hold the word fast means that when we, we hear the gospel, when we hear the word proclaimed, it's not in one ear and out the other. But it is a, a thinking on, a nourishing, a, a meditating on a, until those truths of the gospel actually become reality for us. So that we, like Horatio, can, can say, it is well with my soul. That that is our, our natural response because we've, we've heard the word and we've held it in our heart. We've thought on it until it's become our reality. And secondly, Jesus says it bears fruit with patience. The word patience there in the Greek is also translated a perseverance. It has a sense of of steadfast endurance. So what he's saying is, is by persevering, you will bear fruit. The the plant that endures the thorns, endures the, 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 the rocks, that has enough moisture, if it makes it to the end, it will bear fruit. And the same is true in our lives. That we must persevere to the end if we are to be saved. The, a persevering response to the word of God is one that saves. And so the, the emphasis of this, this whole parable is that we need to persevere, right? No farmer is happy just because a seed sprouted, a, a seed started to grow. No, the, the farmer is happy when, this, when the seed actually bears fruit. True hearers of the gospel persevere. Good soil produces a, a harvest, right? doesn't mean there isn't ups and downs in our life of faith. But what it does mean is that we continue to come back to God. We continue to persevere through. There are many other passages in the Bible that support the same idea. Uh, Colossians 1, for example. This is Paul, and he says, You, uh, talking about Christians who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, he, Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, holy, and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. He's saying, we'll pre- be presented holy and blameless if you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast. Hebrews 3 says a very similar thing. It says, take care, brothers and sisters. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our confidence firm to the end. We share in Christ and, and his blessing if we persevere to the end. Right? The implication is if you don't persevere to the end, you don't share in the blessings. And, and this is the, the warning for us, that, that there is no salvation apart from continued belief. Right? Nowhere in the Bible does it say that just because you said a prayer, just because you were baptized, just because you attend church on occasion, that you are saved. You are saved if your faith perseveres to the end. In First John, the apostle uh, John, he, he talks uh, about a group of individuals. Uh, people that, that seemed to be Christians, but eventually left the faith. And what he says is, is by them leaving the faith, they, they prove that they were actually never really saved. Verse 19 of chapter 2, it says, They went out from us, speaking of those who have left the faith, but they were not of us. So they were not Christians. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are all not of us. So it's not only important how one begins the Christian experience, but it's important how one ends. That's one of the marks of a true Christian, that they persevere to the end. Charles Spurgeon, a a famous British preacher, said it like this. He said, You are not converted at all if you are not converted eternally. And so we might question, though, and we, we might say, well, does that mean? How can I have any confidence about my salvation? A- am I eternally secure? The answer is yes. The Bible is very clear. Philippians 1.6 says that, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That, that the one who starts a work in you will be the one who has finished that work. But, but the point of our parable today is that, that our perseverance, it evidences that we are saved. It evidences that God is at work and he is completing the work that he started. This doesn't mean that we are perfect people. This doesn't mean that we are sinless people, but it means we continue to trust in the one who was perfect for us. right? We continue to trust in Jesus. We, we, we don't trust in our works, our efforts. We trust in the grace that God has given us through Jesus Christ. And so a true Christian perseveres in the faith and the question i want to ask you is how is it going for you do you do you feel do you feel withered do you feel scorched do you feel the thorns closing in maybe some of us maybe don't feel exactly like that right now maybe life is going good for us but the danger is that we can we can see a passage like this and say, this doesn't really apply to me. It doesn't seem like I'm going through that right now. But if we're, if we're honest, uh, all of us have, have thorns in our life. All, all of us have places where we are a little bit shallow in regards to the gospel. Where we believe things a little bit on the surface level. And, and, and Jesus' warning is, is be, beware because everything can look fine on the outside. But is it, does the, the plant have root? The, the testing will come. The thorns are going to come. They will. But the question is, will you persevere to the end? That's the call of this passage. To persevere, holding on to Jesus, whether life is smooth sailing or stormy seas. So the question is how? How do we persevere? How are we to be good soil? Well, we can continue to receive the word, continue to receive the seed. Uh, we can be aware of the thorns in our life. And we can allow the gospel to take root. But that's, if we're honest, sometimes very difficult. It sometimes uh, feels almost impossible. Impossible until we remember who we are in this parable. We, we're not the gardener. We're the soil. We're just the soil. The soil doesn't change itself. The soil needs a gardener to change it. We need to go to the great gardener, Jesus, and ask by your spirit, God, would you come and would you change my soil? Would you change my heart? Would, would, you, would you till the hardness of my heart? Would you remove the thorns? Would you break up the bedrock in my life, Jesus, and practically, that means we come to him on our knees in prayer. We say, Lord, I am a hard soil. I, I, I want to bear fruit for you. Would, would you make me soft? Would you make me understand in my heart the truths of your gospel? If, if the sun is beating down on us, we say, Lord, I feel faint. I feel weary. I, I don't ask you to take away the heat, Lord, but that you would give me roots to endure it. God, I I break up the self-reliance, break up the bedrock in my life so that I might trust you more fully, might lean on you more fully and draw water from you, the living water. If there's thorns, we say, Lord, remove the thorns. I I see them in my life, but I I, I keep watering them. I keep going back to them even though I know they're the thing that is choking me out. We say, God, you are able, you are able to remove the thorns. Would you do that? And he'll say, yes, I've been waiting for you. So what does persevering fruit look like? Jesus says it's a hundredfold fruit. We have to remember that, that not only... Are we the soil? But God is, God is the seed. He is the, the word of God incarnate. He is the one, the gospel is the one who is going to spring forth and bring life. We are the, the soil that exists for the glory of God, right? If you walk into a botanical garden, uh, you don't look around and say, look at the soil. It's so, such great soil. No, you look at the plants and you say, look at the plants, they're gorgeous. They're beautiful. Look at what God has done with this hard soil. Look at God has done with my life. He's taken hard soil and produced beautiful fruit from it. We exist to magnify God's beauty in our lives. This is, this is the story of Adoniram Judson. Adoniram was born in the 1800s. His father was a pastor. Uh, he, he grew up, uh, went to university. And uh, he met a man there named Jacob Eames. Now, Jacob Eames uh, was not a Christian, and it, in fact, drew Adoniram away from the faith. He said, You don't need to be, believe in God. You don't need to believe in hell, heaven, any of that stuff. Live life how you want to live life. And this sounded good to Adoniram. And he decided to pursue the pleasures of his world. For four years, he never told his parents. After university came back, he finally told his parents, and, and they were heartbroken. He tried to console them for a couple of days, but eventually uh, he left on horseback to pursue his dreams. He wanted to be an actor, so he went to New York. After four or five years, it didn't work out so well for him, so he decided he needed to come back home. And on his way back, he stopped at an inn on the side of the road. Uh, and, that, and that night, as he was lying in his bed, he heard screams from the room next to him. Screamed. It, it sounded like someone was dying, uh, crying out for their life. Terror of what was to come in the life afterwards. And the scream stopped around midnight. And so in the morning, he came to the innkeeper and said, uh, what was going on last night? And the innkeeper said, sorry, sorry, there, there was a man though. And he ended up in the room next to you. He passed away. Adam says, I, wow, that's awful. I'm so sorry. Does, does anyone know uh, who this man was? And the keeper says, yeah, yeah. his name was Jacob Eames. God in his, his sovereignty ha- had appointed the very man who drew Adoniram away from the faith to spend his dying breaths in the room next to him. And this was, in fact, the decisive moment in Adoniram's life that God used to bring him back to the faith. And he says, you know what? I, I don't want terror about what will come in the life afterwards. I want confidence and peace. And so it's that moment he gave his life to Christ, goes back to his father and explained, which by the way is really good news uh, for any of us who know people who have walked away from the faith, right? We may be praying fervently for people now who have left, left the faith, but God is able. God is on the move. Church history is full of people who have come back to the faith by God's grace, right? God is able to change the soil, yes? Yes. So Adoniram decides... He wants to be a missionary. He wants to bring the gospel to a people group who has never heard it before. So he chooses uh, to go to Burma, modern day Myanmar. Uh, He gets married. Uh, His wife is is pregnant and they board the boat, a four-month boat journey to Burma. But along the way, uh, his wife gives birth to a stillborn child. Obviously, devastated. Devastated. They get to Burma and the work is hard. Seven years he labors, Bible translation, evangelism, only 18 converts. During that time, uh, his wife has another baby, 17 months old, passes away as well. He's put in prison at this time as a suspected British spy. His wife, Anne, uh, walks two miles every day to the jailhouse to plead his cause and two miles back home, She gives birth to another child. She walks two miles with the child there and back every day. In the jail cell, his feet are suspended above his head. He's laying down on his shoulders and head only during the night. He contemplates suicide many, many times. Miraculously, though, he is released. But upon his release, he discovers that all of his 18 converts, the church he had started, has been disbanded. They've all left the faith. The Bible translation work that he had been laboring on has been burned. And six months after being released from prison, his wife, Anne, dies. Six months after that, the child that she bore to him. Can you imagine that? Would you continue in the faith? Three children all under the age of two. Passing away, your wife gone, your your life's work. In despair, uh, he retreats to the forests of Burma. Uh, He builds himself there a hut and lives there. He digs a grave beside the hut, and every day he sits on the edge of the grave, imagining what he would look like lying in it. He writes on the anniversary of his wife's death, he says, God to me is a great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. But by God's grace, Adoniram persevered. He decided to come back to the city in which he was ministering. He began new his Bible translation. But in that time, the Spirit of God worked in Burma in an unprecedented way. One of his converts uh, that left the faith, it came back, ended up becoming the first Burmese pastor. People would start walking for two or three months to hear the gospel message being proclaimed. Churches were being planted. People were growing in Christ and being discipled. All of this he saw in the course of his lifetime. There was great fruit. His life was not free of suffering, of testing but it was a life that persevered to the end. And now, now there are 3,700 Baptist churches that draw their origins from that guy. 600,000 Christians because this man persevered by God's grace and the fruit that increases, it increases to God's glory. So our call It's people people that pray and ask God, would you give us ears to hear? Ears to hear that would persevere in faith so that we might bring you glory. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we are uh, thankful. We are thankful for the work that you have done uh, in our life, in the lives of many uh, throughout church history. Uh, You have uh, been faithful And you have been present through it all. And so I ask for those of us who are walking through those times of testing. Who are uh, walking through those times where you seem absent. Would you give us ears to hear? Uh, Would we know your gospel in such a way that it would transform our lives? And for those who do not. God, I ask that today would be the day that they put their trust in you. They hear the gospel afresh for the first time. And I pray their heart would be changed. We pray this and ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.